Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of History Central And As usual, on Monday, we'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus for the Foundation for Economic Education. And we'll visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author of many books, his latest is called No Problem. It is July the 25th, and on this day in 1898, during the Spanish-American War, U.S. forces launched their invasion of Puerto Rico, the approximately 110-mile by 35-mile wide island that was one of Spain's two principal possessions in the Caribbean. With little resistance and only seven deaths, U.S. troops under General Nelson A. Miles were able to secure the island by mid-August. After the signing of the armistice with Spain, American troops raised the U.S. flag over the island, formalizing U.S. authority over its one million inhabitants. In December, the Treaty of Paris was signed, ending the Spanish-American War and officially approving the cession of Puerto Rico to the United States. In the first three decades of its rule, the U.S. government made uh, efforts to Americanize its possession, including granting full U.S. citizenship to Puerto Ricans in 1917 and considering a measure that would make English the island's official language. However, during the 1930s, the nationalist movement led by the popular Democrat Party uh, won wide support across the island and further U.S. assimilation was successfully opposed Beginning in 1948, Puerto Ricans could elect their own governor, and in 1952, the U.S. Congress approved a new Puerto Rican constitution that made the island an autonomous U.S. commonwealth with its citizens retaining American citizenship. The constitution was formally adopted by Puerto Rico on July the 25th, 1952, the 54th anniversary of the U.S. invasion. 1898. Well, uh, by the way, uh, this weekend we watched uh, Epic TV's uh, production. It's a documentary called The Real January 6th. First of all, I discovered that Epic TV is really quite a, a great location, a great destination for a lot of good documentaries. But I highly recommend uh, The Real January 6th, uh, considering all the noise that we're getting with the January 6th uh, hearings. It really provides some great information that I consider to be very unbiased in terms of its presentation of what happened on January the 6th. So again, Epic TV, the real January 6th. Well, here comes an avalanche of bad economic news on Category 5 storm level. Indeed, the uh, Biden administration may want to dig a hole and hide while Biden goes into his summer home in Delaware, given the depressing numbers that will come out of Washington this coming week. Consumer confidence numbers, which currently stink, uh, hit on Tuesday, a Federal Reserve meeting and the decision on the interest rates, coupled with a press conference from Fed Chair Jerome Powell, followed on, on Wednesday, the first reading on second quarter economic drops on Thursday, and the latest numbers on our vexing run of historically high consumer price inflation close out the monster run of data on Friday. While the White House uh, hopes springs eternal, just like uh, back in... Uh, Hoover days, 
The administration has been touting the dropping price of gasoline a uh, gallon of gas this month and discovering that prosperity is just around the corner, as Hoover, Hoover claimed right before the bottom dropped out of the economy. What matters now, both politically and economically, is the direction things are headed. We're tipping towards a significant and painful recession. Is that possible? Or does the recent decline in gas prices portend more relief to come from strapped consumers who have helped turn this into one of the most hated economies in recent history? We should know a lot more about this by the end of the week. More important for the political future are the numbers coming out on Thursday. If GDP is in negative growth territory, no amount of spend by the administration or Democrats will avoid the conclusion that the nation is officially in a recession. Prosperity may not be around the corner. The most politically radioactive number comes Thursday with the first look at the gross domestic product growth in the second quarter of the year. It will likely show a decline in the size of the economy of around 1 to 2 percent. That will follow a first quarter decline of 1.6 percent. That isn't a lock. The number may surprise us and come in flat or even marginally higher. But should it go negative, as most economists expect, Republicans will race to declare that the Biden recession is now officially underway. Indeed, there are other factors that determine whether the nation is in a recession. Unemployment remains historically low for the time being, and job openings remain plentiful. But how long can Biden blame supply chain problems and Putin's price increases on anyone but himself? He's had 18 months to address these problems and has failed to do so. Biden will never take responsibility for inflation, so we shouldn't expect him to take responsibility for the recession either. It's just a fact. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis announced, for more good news really, uh, that Florida's June 2022 data indicates the Florida's unemployment rate dropped to 2.8% despite national economic conditions. Florida's statewide unemployment rate has declined or held steady for 23 consecutive months through June 2022. The national unemployment rate remains at 3.6%, uh, 0.8% higher than Florida's rate. Florida's uh, labor force grew by 40,000 over the month, while the national labor force shrank by 0.2%. In June 2022, Florida's labor force grew by 293,000 over the year, of outpacing the national rate of about by about 1%. Despite Biden's administration policies that have produced record inflation, skyrocketing prices, gas prices, and slowing national GDP, Florida continues to outpace the nation with strong job growth and increasing labor force, said Governor Ron DeSantis. Florida's unemployment rate has remained lower than the nation of for 19 consecutive months and is now close to full percentage point lower than the nation as a whole. June's uh, data demonstrates once again that our freedom uh, first approach is working for, for Floridians. Thanks to Governor DeSantis' decisive leadership and unwavering commitment to our state's success, Florida is home to a skilled, competitive workforce and a steady economic despite, uh, economy despite national economic conditions. That, according to Dane Eagle, the uh, DEO, DEO will continue to ensure that Florida has access to meaningful opportunities to support their families, grow their business, and contribute to their communities. Florida's private sector employment continues to show strong and steady growth, as of June 2022, Florida's employers have added jobs for 26 consecutive months. Total private employment grew by 5.8% over the year. That's amazing. And 0.9% faster than the national average. Florida's over-the-year, year-over-year uh, year, uh, private sector job growth has exceeded the nation's for 15 consecutive months. 
Data in the month of June continues to indicate there are many job opportunities available for Floridians throughout the state with more than 603,000 jobs posted online. Florida is in search of work and, and new job opportunities are encouraged to turn to the Career Source Florida Network for help. Florida can uh, find guidance on how to register with uh, Employ Florida and search uh, uh, listings of available job opportunities. Uh, career seekers also can improve their employability by perfectly perfecting resume writing and interview, interviewing skills, of course. They can be very helpful as well. So good news on the Florida front, again, keeping Florida free. By the way, uh, Florida uh, former President Donald Trump didn't say he would uh, reclaim the White House in 2024 when he addressed the young conservatives in Tampa on July 23rd, but he didn't say he wouldn't. He dropped a not-so-subtle hint during his hour and 45-minute address to attendees of the Student Economic uh, Action Summit. It was really terrific. Linda and I watched uh, the, his speech, as well as many others, as well, for the Student Action Summit. I ran twice and won twice, he teased, as the audience members jumped to their feet and shouted their support and clapped. And now we may just have to do it again, he beamed, as the crowd of 5,000 teens and 20-somethings chanted, Take it back, take it back, take it back. Expected highlights of Trump's prepared remarks had been given to the media before he took the stage 90 minutes later than planned, but he strayed far from the script, using only a fraction of what he'd submitted to the press. He railed about the policies of his successor, President Joe Biden, and he touted the administration's policies and accomplishments during his four-year term. He even told stories that were at times uncharacteristically self-deprecating. He joyed about not having enough hair to have the military flat top he admired on the commanding officer. Though he said he was eager to get home after speaking late in Arizona the night before, he exuded delight and energy. His speech was more than an hour longer than expected, fueling him with the cheers of the youth as a high-energy event by Turning Point Action, an offshoot of a Phoenix-based nonprofit, Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk's organization. The three-day conference drew uh, an all-star lineup of conservative speakers. In fact, our own Governor DeSantis spoke the night before, and he did a terrific job. The last speaker of the day, Trump sprode on, uh, onto the stage amid streams of fireworks and smoke shooting up all around him and the crowd chanting, USA, USA. <laughs> the energy was just amazing. You are the generation that's going to stand up and save American freedom, have said. You are the grassroots leader that are going to dislodge the socialists and communists that are indeed Marxists, he said. At a pivotal time in our nation's history, like so many generations before, you are the front lines of a momentous struggle that will determine the future of America. Uh, together we will fight to reclaim our republic from a failed and corrupt political establishment. He bemoaned the policies of the current Democrat Party and uh, expressed dismay about inflation, illegal aliens flowing across the open border, uh, censorship of speech, uh, spreading lack of respect for law enforcement, surging crime, an overwhelmingly biased press, and the proliferation of a progressive gender ideology and critical race theory. He seemed incredulous that a country rich with liquid gold now is being a beggar nation uh, that is asked uh, for, for help in securing oil. Under his leadership, the country has been the strongest that it's ever been, he said, but now, Trump added, it's perf perhaps its weakest. He called the Biden administration's exit from Afghanistan the greatest humiliation our country has ever seen. He said Russia's invasion of Ukraine would never happen under tr Trump administration. He said that his relationships with leaders of Russia, North Korea, and China 
uh, positioned America in a far better position. He said that he'd been install, installed as president for a second term. Iran would have made a deal within a week to stop developing nuclear weapons. A radical left is the past, Trump said. Our movement is the future. The key to putting the country on the right path is to defeat the climate crisis hoax. Uh, and I appreciate him saying that it is a hoax, the climate crisis. He also took on a, a woke educators. The current uh, education system is so sick that school prayer is banned, but drag shows are allowed. He said, you can't teach the Bible, but you can teach children that America's evil and men can't get pre can get pregnant. You would not trust these people to babysit your children for 20 minutes, and we should let them educate millions of uh, students six hours a day, year after year, he, he questioned. Whatever it takes, the conservative movement must liberate America's children from captivity of these Marxist teachers' unions, he said. It was a great speech and uh, very reassuring. And uh, I, although he kind of hinted he might run again, he didn't really commit to that. But uh, certainly glad to see President Trump and the enthusiasm of those 5,000 students was just fantastic. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Johnson's Air Conditioning is the website. Also, Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, going to visit with Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 
4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. A new works festival is coming up soon. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. It's a terrific Multimedia website, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Again, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So we've been talking about current global events for the last 15 years or so on Monday morning. Let's start off with an uh, update on what's happening in Ukraine. Okay, so two things are happening in Ukraine. On one hand, at this point, the Russians do not seem to be able to advance anymore in the Donbass region at all. Uh, they've been stopped at this point by the Ukrainians, and it seems, and it's not totally sure what's going on, but the Ukrainians seem to be, have launched a counteroffensive aimed at retaking the major city of Kherson. Um, so we'll have to see. Um, the Russians, you know, they're a big country with a lot of people, but on the other hand, they seem to, seems to be in a situation where they could quickly lose this, but we'll have to see. Hmm. Um, it's... Uh, so, what's, any comments at all about the port? Uh, apparently, there's yeah. So, yeah. So, the port business is pretty. Again, it shows you cannot make any agreement with with Putin. So, there's an agreement made for grain export, mm-hmm. um, and basically from from the port of Odessa and one other port, because basically the war is uh, decreasing the amount of wheat available in the world, causing shortages and price increases and everything else that's terrible for the third world, particularly. And so an agreement was reached that would guarantee the export and that the locations wouldn't be attacked, etc. Um, and the next day, the Russians attacked the port of Odessa. First, they claimed it wasn't them, they didn't do it, and then they claimed they were attacking military targets. Um, both cases are lies. Yeah. I mean, you need to understand, people don't seem to understand, you know, every second word, no, every word out of Putin's mouth and the Russian and Lavrov's mouth is usually a lie. And you know, Mark, I guess uh, the, the one point where we may uh, have a disparity in our views here is I, I certainly agree that what Putin has done is, is criminal and he should be held accountable for it. No question about that. But I do question this insatiable appetite for more and more weapons and uh, artillery coming from Ukraine. And again, I, th- I, I think my personal belief, I don't know this for sure, but my personal belief is that there's a lot of weapons that are being uh, sold in the black market underground there's market. no proof of this there is nothing about that whatsoever i'm sorry you're listening to some propaganda somewhere no this comes from um, me mark that, i'm that no that, i'm that, not uh, i'm just saying it, you know we said what 60 million look you understand, you have to understand something modern warfare is incredibly uses an incredible amount of ammunition and an incredible amount of of guns etc in a very short period of time and this yeah. has been going on now for many months so Relatively speaking, the amount of arms that we've given the Ukrainians isn't all that great. It's just expensive because these days manufacturers make too much money on their armaments. Yeah. But um, there's no there's no indication at all that there are any corruption and the arms are going to the wrong places or being sold to the wrong people. Um, none whatsoever. 
Well, I think I think, I, think uh, I, I certainly understand putting a black hat on Putin, but I, I'm not. I'm a little hesitant to put a white hat hat on uh, uh, Zelensky. Why? Well, because I, I just, you know, just take a look at the background and the history of what's happened in Ukraine before he took power. And all of a sudden, Ukraine did have corruption, no question about it. But the fact of the matter was he was cleaning it up. And by all intents and purposes, it's, there is none at the moment. And I'm sorry, anything anything to say that not putting a white hat on Zelensky is Russian propaganda at this point. Well, it's, which they're very good at, mind you. Well, they may they're be. They're very, very good at spreading rumors, creating false Facebook posts and everything else is, oh, really? Did you hear that? Oh, it must be true. I saw it in six different places. Well, I understand the, uh, that is how things, uh, false things get spread. And I'm not, I, I personally have not seen this written any place except for the fact if you just take a look at the history, uh, you know, uh, ch tigers don't change their stripes. Or zebras don't change their stripes. Uh, you know, he came from a corrupt background. And, uh, he did come from a corrupt background. He was just—he was a—he was a comedian. And a, no, a but he was installed by a, by an oligarch. He was, uh, you know, he was not. What are you talking about? Zelensky was not. There were oligarchs there, but Zelensky was an actor, and he played the president on a TV show and got elected based on that. Believe it or not, I mean, it's pretty absurd when you think about it that he got elected based on that. Yeah. But he didn't come from any corruption or any oligarchy. He didn't come from money even. Well, it, it was it was money that was provided by an oligarch to put him in the position to win the election. Okay, well now you start going a, a, a little a little bit further afield. I can't argue with that because I don't have the facts, but it's kind of irrelevant because he's turned out to be a great leader. Well, again, I <laughs> I do have questions about that, but I understand what you're saying. Well, let's let's uh, you know, what do you think next steps might be in Ukraine? Well, I'm. Look, I believe, and no way of knowing for sure, but I believe the Russian army is going to collapse at some point. Hmm. Um, that they just don't have the back, they don't have the the ability to create new arms to be able to replace the arms they're losing. They're not able to get troops to replace the troops they're losing because they're afraid to impose a draft because they're afraid that there'll be a, a tremendous domestic backlash. Um, so they don't have the troops. They don't have the armaments. And I think, um, and they don't have the motivation, obviously. The Russian troops don't have no motivation to fight there. Yeah, yeah. So I think overall, there's a reasonable chance that we'll see a sudden collapse, that a Ukrainian counteroffensive will be successful. Now, is, can I guarantee that? Absolutely not. Yeah. There's nothing we know. In, in war, the smallest mistake or the smallest uh, change can can determine the outcome of a battle, obviously. Do, do we know what percentage of the Russian troops are actually in, involved in the Ukrainian operation? From what I read, 80% of the Russian army is currently de wow. deployed. That is so interesting. I've heard so a figure as low as 5%, everybody. so the, it's kind of curious. Well, so there's, again, in the midst of war, there's so much misinformation for sure. Uh, Absolutely. Let's move to uh, what's happening with Orban in, in Hungary. Right, okay, so actually it's sort of a related topic because Orban, not so much what he's doing in Hungary, but he went to Romania and spoke in a, to a Hungarian exile group, or like to people, you know, Hungarians who live in Romania. And um, some of the things he has to say besides blaming the war on Russia, on, Russia, on, the, on the West, um, he said, or he dismissed Ukraine's determination to continue fighting as a doomed strategy akin to sitting in a car with flat tires on all four wheels. 
the Ukrainians will never win a war, he claimed, with the backing of the Anglo-Saxons. Um, he went on to attack the, the West, that they were, <coughs> the West was trying to divide the, the countries and divide the Slavic people, and he went on to say that um, right, that we are not a mixed race. We told ethnic Hungarians in, in Romania, and we don't want to be. So he's kind of unhinged, to say the least, <coughs> and a Putin loyalist. Yeah, so interesting. So. By the way, this this reminds me a little off topic, but uh, what's happening? I read uh, in China right now that the uh, economy is really struggling because of the real estate d- dilemma. And uh, they're really losing options with regard to their economy at this point. Any comments on that? Yeah, absolutely. So the Chinese, I should have put it on the list. The Chinese economy is really struggling at this point. Um, they have, um, the, like, like we discussed over the last couple of months, the real estate um, overbuilding has created this tremendous albatross on the banks and everything else because if real estate companies go bankrupt, who, who finance them? Yeah. But the banks, obviously. Um, and so that's creating a tremendous problem. And the, the real economy, too, the non-real estate, the manufacturing, etc., is also in trouble, uh, both because a lot of companies have moved some of their manufacturing out of China, the, the fact that it's not reliable, and that they learned that during, um, during COVID. Um, so... Um, I, I recall even saying... Group, I even... Group, I even recall seeing a story of uh, uh, lines out of banks, people trying to get their money out of the bank before they close, are concerned about a, a run on... on uh... Oh, absolutely. There's, a, there's, a, there's, been a bank ro- there's been a bank run in a couple of banks. They had to bring tanks in front of banks to protect them from the people. Wow. Uh, so, you know, it's like, it, it reminds me of, the, of well, what I was the Japanese. That, you know, 20 years ago, we were afraid the Japanese were going to own everything. And suddenly, <coughs> excuse me, that didn't happen. And now the Chinese, who we thought were doing such a good in such a good position, are now also in difficulty, and we'll see what happens. But um, I think they are much less of a concern these days than than they ever used to be. Let's put it that way, or they were a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, they said well, at one point, I mean, they can continue to print money. There's a number of things they can do. They really don't have any rules necessarily that they have to follow, but inevitably some of these schemes have to f- just fall apart. It could just lead to a destruction of the Communist Party. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's no, if, you know, we say Communist Party. I, I hate using that term, the ruling junta, because there's nothing communist about the country. I understand that, but that's what they call themselves. I know, I understand that. I'm just saying that I just, I just don't like calling them the Communist Party because it's <laughs> insanity, because between them and communism, there's no... no um, no similarity. Similarity. Right. Let's put it that way. Right. It's just a transnational uh, com- a criminal organization, quite frankly, a, a complete despotic organization. So just controlling the people. It's so sad to see. And uh, hopefully the. Listen, for the longest time, keep in mind the, what the story of China has been. The story has been that the government has promised economic growth and um, prosperity in return for people not being involved at all in politics and not caring, you know, what goes on. And this suddenly breaks down when when we see um, the economy is not doing so well and suddenly people are asking, wait a second, we were supposed to be, we were promised a great economy if we stay out of politics, so to speak. Yeah. But if the economy falls apart, that's where they start being in real trouble. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that the, the heritage, the cultural heritage of the 
uh, Chinese goes back to Confucius and others back to fifth uh, or sixth century BC, and uh, the, the the bedrock of that of that thought process is is around the individual happiness of individuals, rather than uh, some sort of a, a scheme to uh, for the. Uh, in other words, it, it's all it does focus on the individual as opposed to the overall group. Yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. So interesting. Absolutely. So let, let's move then to uh, Myanmar. Myanmar, where the ruling military junta basically executed uh, former members of the parliament who were human rights um, advocates. And they literally executed them this morning. Wow. So, you know, we we talk about oppression, but at some point it's more than just that, obviously. Right. These people, these people literally, all they were, all they were demanding was human rights in the country, and they've been executed. Wow. So, you know, there's not much to say other than wow, and it's bad. Yeah, it is so bad. Well, it also, I think it's the commentary on that is that uh, how low the human spirit can actually go when it when it's uh, corrupt by uh, desire uh, for for power. It's just amazing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about Italy? What's going on in Italy? Well, Italy, we have um, we, the government has fallen. Uh, he tried the first time to resign, and the president wouldn't accept the resignation of the government. The second time, he did. Elections will be held be held in the fall. Uh, the concern right now is the populists um, who are running are um, are at this point. Um, um, how should I put it? Um, less. Uh, less identifying with the European Union, less identifying with NATO, and less identifying with Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And Italy, which has become a major supporter of Ukraine, uh, the concern is that uh, that might stop with, if the current uh, parties lose the election that's coming up, and there is fear that they will. Yeah. So It's kind of interesting. It ties to what's happening in the UK right now, and there's, uh, I think I've heard, or maybe you, you expressed that only 25% of the people actually support uh, the Brexit. exit from, from or yeah, Brexit. So, I mean... Well, look, it turned out to be a disaster for the British. I mean, they got none of the advantages that were promised them, and all the disadvantages, everything from standing online when traveling to... to um, when when traveling to um, Europe, which they didn't have to until until now, they were part of the EU. There were no passport lines and everything else. To trade, which is down and more difficult. To companies that have left Britain because they wanted to be in part of the EU. So it's been a it's been mostly a disaster. Huh. So, uh, but uh, given uh, what's happening in Italy right now, where do we stand with the EU? Uh, with the EU? In other words, uh, does it still is it going to hold together? It looks like it will. I mean, leaving aside what's happening with Italy, I mean, if anything, the war in Ukraine has strengthened the EU in the same way it strengthened NATO. The feeling that we have to be, uh, we have to be united, we have to work together. So that's clearly part of what the war in Ukraine has started. And so we'll have to see. But I don't, I'm not concerned at this point. I mean, we were concerned uh, during the financial crisis that the EU, EU might fall, but it, but it isn't. And keep in mind the fact that, leaving aside the fact that the Italian government is, is has fallen, Italy has been doing quite well economically in the last three years and four yeah. years. So after a period of time when Italy was one of the basket cases of Europe, it's succeeded and been under good economic uh, conditions and 
uh, been doing well economically. Yeah, uh, uh, Germany, however, is not doing well economically. In fact, it's kind of in terms of a, uh, in, it's kind of in a crisis right now when it comes to energy. No, absolutely. Look, uh, they made the mistake of depending on uh, Russian gas and oil. They've cut off, I think, the oil at this point, but it's going to take them more time to replace the gas. And that's really the problem. Uh, Russian gas is uh, easy, to, easy to come by. The alternatives are longer pipelines um, and or LNG, which is the liquid uh, natural gas, which has to come in ships. And that also takes time, and you need to build ports to handle it and all those things that are related to that. Um, yeah. But we'll see more. We'll see that more and more in the coming months. Yeah, yeah, I, I have in my mind. I just wonder if, if perhaps, if we continue to produce oil and energy the way we did under the Trump administration, if we well, that wouldn't have helped to uh, resolve. No difference. There has been no difference in production of oil. It's a, it's a, it's a fake news. Nothing changed. The only thing that changed was things that were going to happen down the down the road. Nothing has changed. Well, absolutely nothing has changed. Uh, the only thing that happened was. We produced less oil because during um, during the height of the COVID crisis, the price of oil went to negative. And when the price of oil goes negative, what are you going to do if you have an oil field? You're going to cap it. My understanding is they they uh, reduced production by two million. Uh, I think is it two million barrels a day. The government didn't reduce production. I know companies. It, I know well, that companies reduced production. Not nothing to do with what the government did. Again, by the very fact that oil had gone to negative numbers. Well, right now no, when, there's a, when, a very uh, global, robust demand for energy. Right, right but now. it takes time to it takes time to to bring things back online. They expect everything to be back within. They're already starting to be back at this point, but it takes time, and it's not uh, the 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 cutback in oil production was totally an economic an economic consequence of COVID, and the decrease in demand of of oil worldwide, and that's why that's why it went down. It nothing to do with the Biden administration, the Trump administration. They had no impact on that whatsoever. Well, so so in other so, words, a current uh, a policy, the EPA, these these policies that are being put in place have not reduced the motivation for oil for oil companies to produce. No, absolutely not. The prices with the, with the prices as high as it is, they're going to produce if they can. Hmm. That's the reality. Nothing nothing that they're doing is affecting the the production output at the moment. Again, you could talk long term. You could talk five, ten, twenty years down the road that the that some of the actions that the Biden administration might be taking might decrease oil production and increase alternative fuel produ- you know usage, etc. But none of these things are having an effect now. I don't know. I so, hear I hear Biden administration officials saying things like the 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 fact that gas prices have gone up is a good thing. I mean, I've heard this from a couple of officials right now. It seems to me that uh, they're pleased with the direction they're moving right now in terms of trying to. Well, but, the, but gas prices are now down by by ten percent from their highs. Yeah, even more. Right. So I don't think the, the Biden administration does not want gas prices to be up. No, no. Let's put it this way: no party in power ever wants gas prices up. Only the only the people the only opposition may want it. There's not nothing less popular than high gas prices. Well, you're right about that. We can agree on that, uh, uh, Mark. <laughs> Mark Schulman again. Right now, by the way, for listeners' benefit, right now in Tel Aviv, and uh, how's everything going in Tel Aviv right now with regard to COVID and the other things that are happening around the world? Well, COVID is definitely um, is definitely around a lot these days in in, in Israel. There's no question about it. Um, the, this new new variant seems to be reinfecting people who are already infected at some point. Yeah. 
which is definitely not good, obviously. Um, but it's less it's it's less deadly. Let's put it that way. The chances of getting a a severe disease from the current uh, variant are, are much much smaller. It seems. That's good news. Um, so. We'll have to see. Yeah. Mark Schulman, uh, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I encourage, uh, if you haven't been there, check it out. It's great for kids of all ages. HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You as well. Thank you. Uh, Mark has COVID, as a matter of fact. So uh, I can tell you he's struggling a little bit with, the, with that, but really appreciate his commentary here on the show. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by going to the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We're an educational foundation headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Our focus is on high school and college students. We educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private property, and personal character. And we do that through our very robust website, which is fee.org, with daily fresh content every day of the week, and also 
in-person events all over the country. Yeah, great organization. I've attended national conferences. And by the way, are we uh, starting to uh, organize more national conferences now that the COVID thing has passed? Uh, It has begun to step up, yes. Uh, Although I don't think we have plans to do the, uh, you know, a single big national one. But the regional ones around the country are taking place. Yeah, really outstanding. Great to see the enthusiasm for young people around freedom, liberty, and responsibility. It's a great thing. Larry, you, you wrote a piece about Elisha Dickin. He's the guy that, uh, that saved lives, in my opinion. The question is, was he a good Samaritan? Does he deserve a medal? Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Uh, your listeners will recall that this incident happened a week ago yesterday at the Greenwood Park Mall in Indiana. Yeah. It was at a food court when a man uh, pulled out a gun and started shooting. He killed three people and wounded two others. But uh, a young man named Elisha Dickin was actually uh, there, and he had a constitutionally uh, constitutional carry weapon with him. He pulled out his gun and shot the assailant and killed him and prevented many more people from being killed. Was he a good Samaritan? I say absolutely. And there are some people who uh, are taken aback by that claim because they see Jesus as uh, a man of peace and who would never countenance uh, an act like uh, that of Elisha Dickin. But there is plenty uh, in the uh, New Testament that suggests that Jesus would, in fact, not oppose what he did. Uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus instructed his uh, disciples, if they didn't have a sword, they were to sell their cloak and buy one. Uh, he wasn't this namby-pamby guy who would just run for cover whenever somebody started uh, uh, killing innocent people. Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, turn the other cheek, uh, there's, a, there's a number of things that people will refer to when they say that he's more of a pacifist. But, uh, it, you know, give us, tell us more about that. Okay. Yeah, the turn the other cheek uh, passage comes to mind. People seem to think that that means no matter what someone does to you, you should just ignore it and and walk away. But the context of that statement by Jesus was uh, uh, concerning not an act of violence, but rather an insult uh, and a slap in the face. And he said, basically, uh, if you could translate it into modern language, he was saying, don't escalate a situation. Well, Elisha Dickin did not escalate that situation at uh, the Greenwood Mall. He de-escalated it. Uh, he and it wasn't an, a slap in the face. Was not involved. It was uh, actually killing people. And by shooting the shooter, he prevented the killing of perhaps a dozen or more other people. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, does uh, Jesus and his uh, does he ever uh, refer to, for example, protecting property and protecting person? Oh, yes, absolutely. There are uh, more than one passage uh, in which he uh, clearly indicates that the possession or, and protection of property is justified. It, in the book of Luke, he says, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have, let his, would have not let his house be broken into. Uh, uh, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Uh, and presumably, Jesus wouldn't say, you know, guarding is just uh, a fanciful act. Just, just pretend to guard your house. No, guard it, which means, if necessary, use the weaponry. Yeah, absolutely. What is, uh, you know, this is all in the context, really, of, uh, of uh, the Second Amendment. Do you think Jesus would have approved of the Second Amendment? 
Yeah, uh, which is another way of saying Jesus would not support the, the state rounding up innocent people and taking their their firearms that they use for protection. There's nothing in the Bible, nothing that he ever said that would suggest uh, people who have weapons for self-protection should uh, be compelled to turn them into the state. Nothing, nothing whatever. So any gun control advocate who claims that there is is just making that up. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh so, and in fact, you refer in your in the end of your uh, column about uh, John fifteen thirteen. Yes, uh, this is a great passage, uh, and I refer to it in the context of something that that uh, fortunately did not happen. But if Elisha Dickin had been killed, uh, keep in mind that by pulling out his gun, uh, he was drawing attention to himself and. Uh, he could just as well have been the target of the killer at that point, but instead uh, he took the killer out. But if he had been killed, the rest of us could at least take comfort in these words of Jesus, as quoted in John fifteen thirteen. Jesus said, Greater love has no uh, one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Yeah, uh, just a great commentary here, Larry. I think it's just very important to to understand and, and to not have any kind of uh, conflict in your mind about about this. In my opinion, uh, you know, the, the first responder to any situation in any crime that's being committed is the victim. <laughs> and, yeah. and if the victim is armed or can actually prevent a lot of these things, most people that are confronted by these types of situations uh, don't use their firearm. That's simply a threat, but when it's needed... Well, as it was in this situation for Elisha, uh, he was justified in doing what he did. Yeah, and if the killer in this instance, uh, those three people, had known in advance that there was at least one person in that crowd who was armed, uh, perhaps nobody would have lost lost their lives. That's such, such a good point. And frankly, if I, as I understand it, he actually fired his arm within 15 seconds or so of this event happening. So... Uh, apparently, the man was extremely well armed. He could have killed a lot of people. Yep, he was a very good aim, very responsible gun owner, and he deserves a medal. Absolutely. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I encourage you to visit uh, fee.org, F E E.org. Larry, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jim McTagg. Jim is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's now retired up in Lancaster, Virginia, and he's Pennsylvania, I should say. And he's uh, writing lots of great novels. His uh, first novel is Follow the Leader. It's second as a sequel to that, uh, Shake the Money Tree. And the final novel is No Problem, but all three great reads. Uh, we're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, providing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He uh, picked up his belongings in Alexandria and moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and is now writing great novels. As I mentioned, uh, Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, uh, No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. You know, there could be an infinite number of sequels because I, I focus on crime and among the uh, political class in Washington, D.C. And, and uh, Washington just uh, manufactures political crime. Let's just say there's no uh, supply chain problem in Washington <laughs> in regards to the manufacturing of political scandal and crime. Yeah. Hey, I understand that Paul Pelosi's already made a half a million bucks on his little... Uh, option scheme with regard to uh, semiconductors? Uh, it doesn't surprise me. You know, his wife is a money magnet. She's, she's a, uh, the, the biggest fundraiser the Democrats have. She, she raises funds for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. In, uh, I think it was in May, she had a fundraising event in San Francisco that raised $4.1 million. It was the largest single event in uh, the organization's history and wow. for the first quarter of the year she raised about 45 million now what makes this outstanding is that democratic donors don't want to give i mean they see that uh, they're funding a losing cause right. you know and why throw good money after bad they, uh uh, but she manages to squeeze it out of them. Uh, I surmise it's, it's a lot of it is influence peddling. Yeah. You know, you scratch my back, I will scratch yours. And um, so it got me wondering about Pelosi's very controversial trip to Taiwan, hmm. um, a trip other politicians have taken, Mike Pompeo and, and Republicans have been to Taiwan. 
uh, Nancy Pelosi planned to go in April and postponed it. Uh, and the Chinese are threatening, as they always do, they're threatening some kind of military action. But I'm wondering how this idea for Nancy Pelosi to go germinate it. And, you know, when a question asking that came up at a press conference, and her pat answer is, I never discuss my travel plans beforehand for security reasons. And then there is no follow-up question from the press. They roll over like tame dogs. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm digging into this, just using the Internet and my, my uh, reporter instincts. You know, Nancy Pelosi comes from San Francisco, which has a huge Chinese-American population. Yeah. Very influential. And, and there's, a, there's a, a lady out there named Florence Fang, who's been a political power for decades. She, was, uh, she gives to Republicans and Democrats heavily. She, uh, Nancy Pelosi boasts that Florence Fang is a very good friend. Florence Fang is for a peaceful resolution of the Taiwan problem. And so when I parse what Nancy is saying about Taiwan, she sounds a lot like Florence Fang. Like Nancy Pelosi says, uh, you know, nobody's talking about Taiwan independence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're just talking about the, the forcible takeover. So um, it's my theory, and this is just a theory, <laughs> that Florence Fang and company has made some kind of a deal with Pelosi for, uh, you know, to fund the DCCC if she goes to Taiwan. That's so interesting. Uh, by the way, I can't help but ask him. This is, <laughs> it's, is she any way related to Fang Fang? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, you know, the San Francisco, the Chinese Americans propelled Nancy Pelosi into office, I think, during... Her first uh, congressional campaign, Florence Fang and her late husband hosted a, a fundraiser for Nancy Pelosi at their, their restaurant, which is a San Francisco institution. Hmm. So, uh, you know, the roots of this relationship go far, far uh, back. But, uh, you know, if you do, you know, your, your listeners can do this kind of research on the, the Internet, and it's fascinating like Nancy Pelosi did a, a number of fundraisers in Illinois uh, back in the spring, and they were packed. And uh, there's one woman's group, I think it was like 5000 to $10,000 a plate. And the reason the women attended is networking. You know, it's, it's, one of the, you know, it's, the, it's a subtle legal corruption. You know, you give to Nancy and certain doors will be open to you and connections will be made. And so you're not really donating, you're investing in, in your own income. You know, you, you expect a return on the check you're writing to the Democratic Party. And I'm, I'm, the same thing goes on in the Republican Party. Of not, course. But... So, so, so uh, and what irks me is uh, my colleagues in, in the fourth estate just accept this as business as usual, and and you hardly ever see aggressive reporting on the on this subject. I know. I had one guy who retired from Congress that told me, you know, said, Bob, we've got the best government that money can buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there's a, you know, there's a website called Open Secrets, which is a resource I use constantly. Hmm. And it's probably, it, it's a comprehensive base of donors, donations. It's fascinating. You can, you can spend hours going through Open Secrets, and then you begin to see these uh, webs of influence. And uh, it's something the public should be aware of uh, before they head to the ballot box. That, uh, you know, they're not only voting for a candidate, they're voting for a network of influencers. Well, that's and I think you're describing right now why Nancy Pelosi has so much influence in Congress. I mean, she pretty much just runs the, uh, the uh, Democrat Party up there in, in Congress uh, with an iron fist. And I think it's primarily probably because of, uh, she controls the money. In other words, if you don't go along with my, what I want and you don't vote the way I want you to, you're not going to get any of this money that I've raised. Yeah, because you, know, you can't campaign without a lot of money. You know, the advertising is costly, and she can, uh, you're right, she can turn off the spigot. And she can choke a candidate uh, immediately. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's um, money is the mother milk of politics. So <laughs> it just goes. Yeah. Especially, you know, in, in Florida, for example, we have nine major markets. And if you're going to run for, for example, United States Senate, Rick Scott's, for example, uh, running, he's he's got to fuel uh, campaign uh, advertisements in nine markets. If you're running in Massachusetts, there's one outlet, for example, uh, that uh, that you just have to uh, advertise on, and uh, that covers not only Massachusetts, but Rhode Island and other places as well. Yeah, one thing I learned, too, is that if you have more money at the beginning of an election cycle, you have an advantage because you can buy the campaign advertising in advance at a lower rate. You get a mm-hmm. discount for time out. So the closer you get to election time, the more dear those, that, that advertising becomes. So, so uh, this is another reason that the people with the big campaign war chests pretty much uh, dominate the uh, elections. Well, and not, not only does it provide the money for a discount on ads, but it also becomes a point of saying, you know, look at the support I have early in the campaign uh, when, when uh, competing against others. Hey, if you've got the bigger war chest, it must mean something in terms of support. Uh, yes, so that, that's the way people think, yeah. and, and people like to back a winner. So it's so it becomes uh, easier to raise money too. So it's uh, I mean the whole, the whole system is corrupt, and you know when it's reformed, people quickly find ways to do end runs around the reforms. So again, I mean you know just don't look at your candidate alone. Uh, look who's giving, and a site like Open Secrets can be an eye-opener when you see who's pouring money into a specific candidate. Uh, that's so interesting. So, uh, final question, coming full circle, is this uh, her visit to Taiwan going to create any uh, international problems of intrigue? Well, okay, you never know what the Chinese are going to do, but I th- I've been reading the uh, Taipei Times. It's a, from a, ta- a paper from Taiwan in English, and they point out, an editorialist points out, that China throws a temper tantrum each and every time there's an American delegation to Taiwan. Hmm. So they're not taking it too seriously this time. So we hear talk about a no-fly zone, and Nancy wonders if they would try to shoot down her plane. I, <laughs> I mean, I think the bellicosity, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, business as usual. She'll visit, uh, the Chinese will... And she'll come home uh, with a fistful of money for sure. Jim McTagg, again, uh, follow the leader. 
Uh, Shake the Money Tree and its latest book, No Problem. I encourage you to take a look. They're fun. They're great reads. Jim, really appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Join us tomorrow. We've got great guests as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.